Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz. <laughs> with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. second dog story because it's amazing i said what can i tell the people that they'd enjoy about the dog well it's just that i come home it's the same every night he gets so crazy and you know dogs are beautiful i've always had dogs who get excited when they're young but this one is different he runs and you ever see a rabbit run down a, a pasture how every number of uh, steps he leaps like with a hop that's what teddy does he has a hop in him i don't know where the hop came from he's more rabbit than dog in a way he runs and then throws himself up with a little hop and tugs at my clothing like in a comic book. And in the beginning, I'd say, Teddy, stop. You're going to rip my clothing. You know what I've come to? I say, Teddy, go ahead, rip my clothing. I don't even care. I let my arms hang down. He can rip my pants. He can rip my... Yeah, he doesn't mean to rip it. He's just trying to say hello. And he keeps going and going and going till he starts to wheeze. I have to stop him and I have to grab him. I'm afraid the dog's going to like stroke out from excitement. But you know what? why I don't stop him anymore I'll tell you why because I know one day unless I die from global warming or from a terrorism attack one day he'll be old and one day he won't be able to run and he won't be motivated to run anymore like my other dog Snowy she could hardly move they become old like we do they get arthritis and they become oh you're home again I oh, had a rotten day don't even bother me look I'm in the room that's what they become later on so I said if this is what he is now then enjoy it enjoy his joy because in, in what, five years, six years, eight years, whatever it may be, assuming that the, the earth doesn't melt down because of Al Gore's uh, a hot air, uh, the dog won't be able to do it. And what, I'll look back and say, my God, I remember when you were little, Teddy, and you used to run in the driveway until you almost got a stroke and jump and nip at me? Yeah, so you see, you're lucky if you can look forward and see the future because sometimes it can help, it can help you enjoy the present more. And it's the same with the past. If you can look back on the past, it can help you enjoy the present more. People say that you should live here now, be here now. You know that phrase, be here now, sort of like a hippie, hippie thing. Well, they're 100% right. But the best way to be here now is to remember the past and think of the future. Teddy goes to heaven and prayers for a pet who dies. Many of you have followed me on social media and you know that my dog, Teddy, is very sick and he's in his last days and you probably saw uh, the little prayer of me laying down on the ground with him and all that and I'm not going to milk this you know and try to get your sympathies but the fact is for those of you who have had pets pass away or those of you who have pets who are healthy you all know that one day you will not 
one day it will happen. And so I thought today would be a good day to say goodbye to Teddy because we are waiting for um, a mobile pet doctor to arrive to put him out of his misery. He has not had pain, but now he is starting to cry. And uh, there's nothing you can do except uh, hold him, you know. Now, for those of you who have lost friends in war or in, in life, maybe you're saying this is overly maudlin. It's only a dog. I would suggest you not listen to this podcast. But when I see soldiers crying at the graveside of their combat veteran animals, I understand that I'm not alone in after 17 years <clears throat> with this champion. So where shall I begin? Where shall I begin? Many of you may remember he's been at my side during every broadcast all the years I was on the radio, guarding the radio equipment and nipping the sneakers of my producer if he came nearby. Teddy probably has more intelligence than most liberals in America. Teddy understands more about life than most of the psychotic bastards who are burning and looting in this country in the name of peace and love. Teddy is a far better creature than most humans. Years ago, I wrote a book called Teddy and Me, Confessions of a Service Human. And there are many things in that book that are worthy of quotation. You can judge people by how they treat dogs. That's a good one. You certainly can judge people by how they treat dogs. For those of you who have the book, uh, maybe you can uh, take it out and read along with me. You'll see some great pictures of this noble boy. But before I read from this book, Teddy and Me, I will um, tell you a Teddy story, a very important story. I had a neighbor who will remain anonymous, big guy, world-class ocean sailor, former star football player in college, and a big fan of the show. He would sit on his front steps listening to my radio show. We got to know each other over the years. Well, he was a swimmer, this guy, a big husky guy, and he would swim in San Francisco Bay. He'd jump in in his uh, little shorts, whatever they were called, the Speedos, and this guy would swim in the ocean. And then he would walk back from the other side of the area from a yacht harbor. Well, one day, I'm in my house, and uh, I don't see where Teddy Teddy's nowhere to be found. Normally, I would leave him outside, you know, and he would go to the garden and come back in, but he was missing. Well, this day, he was missing. I didn't know what the hell to do. So I go out in the street, and I say, neighbor, anyone see Teddy? Anyone see my dog? No, no, a few people I saw. Her. No, I didn't see him. Down the street comes my neighbor, soaking wet after he finished his ocean swim, dripping wet in his Speedos. And I said, we'll call him Jim. And I say, Jim, did you see my dog, Teddy? He said, what, what, what dog? I said, uh, you know, in the water. I figured he drowned. He said, that little poof dog is yours? He said, my God, I never saw a dog with a bigger pair of balls. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, let me tell you the story. He said, as I was swimming off the jetty, your dog jumped in the water, swam out to me, swam right up to my face, looked at me and said, are you okay? And then swam all the way back to the jetty, ran along the jetty as I was swimming, and at an angle, swam out again, came up to my face, are you okay? looked at me and he said I kept swimming I nodded I didn't know whose dog it was and then 
your dog swam back to the jetty, etc. and so on, on angles all the way down to the end, which is about a half a mile. Apparently, Teddy was worried that this guy was in trouble. Well, I didn't, I never heard a story like this. I didn't know that the dog had that in him. So, okay, we're talking and still there's no Teddy. And I was afraid he had drowned. And I just went out on my deck and looked for him and called nothing. Well, lo and behold, a few minutes later, here comes Teddy walking along the rocky jetty, covered in seaweed, soaking wet, all 10 pounds of him, looks up at me and says, I'm sorry, Dad, I had to do it. Well... That's the heart of Teddy. That's the heart of this little Teddy. So he tried to rescue the ocean swimmer, 10 or 11 pounds. He didn't know how big he was or how small he was. You see, little dogs are like that. They're very noble creatures. That's 100% true. 100% true. I told my neighbor that story. And he was telling about how he judges a man by how he treats dogs. You should also. Hmm? You should do that as well. Because they're more than just best friends. No question about it. Anyone who owns a dog, actually, or a cat, I guess. I'm not a cat lover. Knows how attached they become to your every habit. Now, we can say that dog is man's best friend, and he is. But let's not forget that dogs are not human beings. Some would say that they're better than human beings. I guess you could say that, but humans are different from dogs or any other animal. I guess I have to repeat that because we've forgotten what a human being really is given the, you know, the lack of love for human life in America today. The value of human life has diminished with the vermin and the street gangs killing each other. They have devalued human life itself. Social media devalued human life itself. Mm-hmm. And so now we have to take our life where we can find it. How can you compare the companionship of a friend with a highly intelligent human being? Now, I ask this not to diminish human beings or my dog, but I want to keep things in perspective. Man is unique, special in all kinds of ways, some of which are even negative. But still, there is no more consistently loyal friend than a dog. I had friends from boyhood I don't even know anymore. As adolescents... Maybe I knew them. But as we became men, my boyhood friends went our own way. We found out we were very different and had nothing in common. But you see, the same cannot be said for a relationship with a dog. In this sense, for all the years that I have been with Teddy, it was a consistent relationship. Always my friend and always there for me. He went blind and deaf in the end. He was being taken care of by Irene, who's been taking care of him since he's a baby. Now, of course, this leads to the inevitable question of eternity, which I do not think is a question I can address at this time. I am not a theologian. I do not have the answer. I do not know about eternity. Do I know if God exists? Is that something we can talk about right now? No. No, I don't know anything about that question right now at all. No, sir. All I can say is this. This dog has been like no other animal I have ever had a relationship with. The fact of the matter is, he was in many ways, in some ways I'm not sure, was he a reincarnation of someone in my life? I've asked myself that many times. 
Michael Savage, a host like no other. You know, those of you who have listened to me for years, I had a brother who was a silent brother. And uh, I don't really know. My brother couldn't see, couldn't hear, couldn't speak. He was basically a vegetable. So they thought he was anyway. Well, I knew he wasn't. What does a little boy do when a mother is crying? Well, he tries to make her happy. So I would entertain my sad mother. I would do stupid things. That's how I became somewhat of an entertainer for my mother. I would Im- imitate people. I'd put on weird faces. I would make sounds and noises, and I'd wipe the tears away, and she'd stop crying. Now, even my closest family members did not know this story. See, I learned to talk to silent audiences and to entertain because of the tragedy with my brother, Jerome. You say, ah, what's the big deal? People die every day. Stop talking about it so much. All right. Just telling how one man's soul operates. That's all I'm doing. But you see, it affected me in that I learned to entertain my mother. And that's how I can go and entertain audiences, whether it be on radio, television, or at a podcast. And I can change emotionally from maudlin to sad to an enraged bull in a, in a second. It all rages inside me. And in that sense, I'm very much alive top to bottom. But I also learned how to talk to audiences and animals because of my silent brother. The family said, oh, don't talk to him. He was sitting in a high chair strapped in there. He was blind. He was deaf and he couldn't speak. And when no one was looking, I would sneak into the kitchen to talk to him. I want you to see how primitive the world was in the 1940s in the doctor's profession. They told me, the healthy brother, don't go in there. Don't talk to your brother. You'll bother him. I said, what do you mean? How can I bother him if he can't hear me? So I would talk to him anyway because I loved him. I just loved him so much and I would whistle to him because I didn't think he could understand words. And my brother would smile when I whistled to him. And I thought to myself as a kid, wait a minute. If he can understand the whistle, he knows his brother's here. And then I hear the voice, Michael, Michael, what are you doing in there? Are you bothering Jerome? Come on, get out of there. And then he was left alone to die in a snake pit of a state-run hospital. See, the doctors decided that for the sake of the healthy children, they're going to give him away to a state snake pit. I want you to think about the profound impact on the healthy children that we were responsible in some ways in our minds for sending him to that hellhole. So the day he was taken away is forever branded in my mind. It's, it's important to remember I was born in the 1940s. It's a long time ago. There was no television. It was the age of radio. The whole thing was set around radio. That's why I'm so good on radio, so good on the microphone. I grew up in the age of radio. The day came that they had to take my brother away to a state home. It was a horrible place on Staten Island, a snake pit that years later was shown to be a horrible, decrepit place. You think the VA hospitals are bad? They took this little five-year-old helpless boy, and because the doctors were such idiots in those days, they took him away in the streets. Now, in those days, everyone knew everyone. I lived in a tenement in the Bronx, six, eight-story building. Everybody knew everybody. It was like a Sajat Ray movie. Now, if you ever watched movies about India in those days, Calcutta, the teeming masses, well, that's my childhood. Those are the days when if you watch retro movies, you see women sitting outside in front of the building in chairs. The children are playing in the streets. In the summer, they'd open up the fire hydrants so the kids could run in the cold, cool water coming out of the pumps to cool off that was our swimming pool 
It was the gutter and the water, and it felt good to me. I enjoyed it. It was cold and fresh. And the women would always watch you, protect you from any potential harm. They all sat on folding chairs next to the buildings and watched the children. But there was little potential danger there because nobody would speed down the street. There were no guns going off. And the perverts would be thrown off the top of a building if they were caught by the men. See that? That's how it was done then. If there was even a hint of a perv in the neighborhood, the men would find him and they would either beat him up or throw him off a building. So we had a very, very good childhood in that sense. Everyone knew everyone. The day comes, they hear that they're giving away the boy. They knew about the boy. And then everyone's out in the street. Everybody's in the street. There's crying, there's sadness. And the whole neighborhood sees this going on. My little brother is taken away. Two men in white, and that was the beginning of something. It was also the end of something. Now, I could go on about it, but what I'm trying to say is something about Teddy, which is that in many ways, he is sort of has been my silent brother with four legs. He came back in a healthy form. And now God wants him again. Years ago, I wrote a bedtime story for Teddy. Some rainy night, I wrote a bedtime story. It's called Teddy and the Bears. There's a great picture of me and him in bed with a loaded shotgun, page 59 of Teddy and me. And he's staring at the gun like, what the hell is that? And it goes like this. This is for children. If you have any children, they can listen to this story from Michael Savage. It's safe. It's a childhood story. In the forest, there lived some bears, but they were a lost tribe of little bears. Very little bears. Very, very little bears. Whenever someone passed by, they hid and so on. No one had ever seen them. They were invisible. In the village, there were hunting dogs, big hunting dogs that hated bears. They were called poodles. Everyone thought they were cute because they smile as poodles do, but they were bred to hunt, not to smile. In this village, there was a kindly old man who loved both dogs and bears. He cried every time the hunters came home with a bear, so he decided to help both bears and dogs. First, he found the smallest of the poodles. Then he secretly married the little poodle to another little poodle, and they had seven small baby poodles. Then he went back into the forest and found an abandoned baby bear that was left behind after his mama was taken by the hunters. He took the baby bear home and introduced her to the small baby poodles, and they all played together in Mr. Kindly's cottage. Then one day the old man thought, what's going to happen to them when I'm gone? Who will take care of them? Mr. Kindly decided he would keep choosing from the smallest of these little bears and the smallest of these dogs and help them have babies. Years later, when Mr. Kindly was gone and his small cottage sat abandoned in the deep forest, a group of school children on a field trip stumbled upon it. They slowly tiptoed in. As they looked around, they found torn and yellowed scraps of pictures showing the kindly old man surrounded by little dogs and little bears, all cozy together around a warm fire in the hearth. The children's teacher wondered where all those cute furry animals came from and where they went. Deep in the forest, there was a huge, huge tree whose trunk was wider than an elephant. It was more than 200 years old. In this tree was a little door carved near the foot of the trunk. The door led to a cave, which spread out forever and a mile, and only God in heaven could see where this endless cave led. 
Somewhere beyond this tree, there is a world where tiny bears. <clears throat> Somewhere beyond this tree, there is a world where tiny bears and tiny poodles. Somewhere beyond this tree, there is a world where tiny bears and tiny poodles sit together, sipping on honeyed leaves no human has ever seen that give all the nutrition needed for kindly bears and kindly dogs to live forever in a day. And that is the end of the story that I wanted to tell you right now, a little fantasy. Now, I had dogs all my life, ever since I'm a little kid, even in New York. First dog was Tippy, a part chow with purple blotches on his tongue. He was a pretty rough dog. In fact, I have scars to the bone of my left leg reminding me of how tough Tippy was. When he was a small puppy and I was a small boy, I was teasing him a bit on a hot August day in the Catskill Mountains in New York. I made a mistake. I took a bone that was given to him and I ground it into the dirt with my left foot as I looked at him mischievously to tease him. Well, he didn't like it, so he leapt at my foot and sank his teeth right down to my bone. Well, after that, they rushed me to the hospital and stitched me up. I thought it was quite an experience. I actually enjoyed the whole deal. I didn't feel any pain. Then they called my father, who was at work in New York City. He worked seven days a week, and they told him what had happened. He closed up his shop, got in his car, and drove up to the mountains hours away. Being the biblical father that he was, he asked me in great deal what had happened. He was going to be God in the jury. See, all the men had said that they should put the dog to sleep because he bit your son. Everyone's saying that dog's no good. He's got to be put to sleep. But my father, as I said, being quite judicial or judgmental, whichever way you want to look at it, asked me exactly what happened. He always wanted to know exactly the truth. So I said, well, Dad, I can't lie. I told him about grinding the bone into the dirt. Well, at that moment, Tippy's life was no longer in jeopardy. And that's the best story I remember about uh, Tippy. I remember other stories about Tippy, which I don't want to talk about right now. Some of them are funny, like Fat George and Tippy. I had other dogs that I owned way before Teddy. I owned Woody. I owned Willie. Uh, one was a Yorkie named Woody. I mix up Woody and Willie. The other Willie was a Silky Terrier. And they were the spunkiest, eternally moving little fur machines I've ever seen. Well, one day I was walking with little Woody in Forest Hills, Queens, and from across the street, there came a spotted Dalmatian that ran at him like a wolf. Before I could even lift a finger or raise my voice, the Dalmatian snapped his jaw shut around Woody's little back, punctured his lungs, and killed him in front of my eyes. Well, I didn't know if he was dead or not, but I grabbed Woody, jumped in my little Volkswagen, a little green beetle, and raced over the Queensboro Bridge to an animal hospital where the vet announced that Woody was dead. Okay, things happen. Terrible things. To this day, I'm afraid to walk a small dog in the streets anywhere in America for fear that a big dog will kill him. Maybe it's a good thing to be this protective. The other little dog, Willie, was just the most charming little guy, and I had him when I lived in Hawaii. That dog came to a weird and sad end as well. We'd been away on a short trip, and we were supposed to come back on a certain day. We left him in the good hands of a wonderful, kindly friend that was a botanist. Well, we came back a day later than we had planned, and on that day, we were supposed to come back but didn't. Little Willie had eaten a teeny poisonous frog and died. We buried him there in Hawaii. I still know where in the back of Manoa Valley near a waterfall. It's the way of all flesh, and that's the story of Woody and Willie. And I had another dog named Bandit. Wild dog. Beautiful dog. Bandit was the dog that we owned when we were living in Fairfax, California, while the children were quite young. In those days, I used to go into San Francisco quite a bit either by car or by ferry. 
One day, I took the ferry from a suburban town called Larkspur, which happens to be adjacent to the San Quentin prison. When inmates are released from San Quentin, they're given bus fare, and some of them take the ferry into San Francisco and go home. Well, on that particular day, it was a rainy day, if I remember, in November. I was almost alone on this huge ferry, and there was a long-haired guy who had just been released from San Quentin. I could tell by his look that he was a hardened criminal. But since I'm attracted to antisocial types, he and I struck up a conversation, liked each other, and he invited me to his house. I said, oh boy, this is great. He told me, yep, indeed he had just gotten out of San Quentin, though I didn't ask him what he'd been in for. We got off the ferry and took some buses for an hour to South San Francisco near Candlestick Park and walked across the boards on a mud flat way out to some houseboat. His old lady, quote, was there, and she was the nicest person in the world. They had a house full of dogs. We drank all afternoon, and he offered me one of the dogs. How could I say no to an ex-Hells Angel from San Quentin? Get the picture? So I took the little dog in my arm, put him in my coat, walked back on the planks, took the bus back to the ferry, and took the dog home. The children fell in love with Bandit. Oh, he was a border collie, all right, and a wild one. One of the wildest dogs we ever owned. As the years went on, Bandit would constantly try to escape from the house. He'd run out of the house, run down the hill, run across the valley and up the other side to a house where there was a female dog he took a liking to. He was so smart that he knew how to open the gate with his teeth and let her out. Then they would run together all afternoon. True story. They liked the state park way up on Mount Tamalpais. One day, a park ranger came to our house with Bandit in tow and said to us, your dog is chasing down deer up in the mountain with this other dog, and he does it all the time. And if he does it one more time, I'm going to shoot him. How's that for a nice, sensitive animal control agent? Well, we kept Bandit under control because we didn't want a mean park ranger to shoot him. You hear? Well, years later, I was teaching at an East Coast college. We had crossed the country like in the Grapes of Wrath with all of our possessions, rented a house, and I taught for a while. Well, we used to chain Bandit to a large tree in front of that house because we didn't want to chain him up inside. Well, sad to say, one day the kids came home from middle school and the chain was there, but Bandit was gone. We had all sorts of stories as to what happened. He escaped the chain, ran off and found another female dog and he's running happily ever after. Or a group of evil people cut the chain and stole him and he came to God knows what end. Either way, that was the end of Bandit. I had another dog named Snowy. What a sweetheart she was. Snowy was a Sheltie, and she was the kindest, most beautiful dog ever owned. She preceded Teddy. Snowy was our little lassie. She was with us all through our kids' childhood years. And I always remember Snowy jumping over little fences. You know, sort of the Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm type of thing. She had that kind of disposition. She was obviously a female, and I think she was the only female dog I ever owned. I can't remember another female dog. I always liked little boy dogs. But Snowy was just the sweetest little lassie you could ever know. And all the memories are fantastic. Even to the end, she was a wonderful companion and a great inspiration. She was in great health until the age of 11 or 12. Unfortunately, her downfall was due to my overfeeding her. I can't help it. If I eat, she sits there, looks at me, and I feed her. And I let her gain too much weight. She got fat and got sick. She got arthritis and I couldn't care for her anymore. Well, luckily for me, my personal assistant at that time had a girlfriend whose parents were dog lovers who lived on a farm up in Sonoma County, north of San Francisco. They agreed to take Snowy in for her last years. She wasn't supposed to last too long. In fact, the vet had told us that they were supposed to put her to sleep. And I said, my friend, no one's putting Snowy to sleep. 
But the story ends beautifully because these nice people up in Sonoma put Snowy on a special diet, limited her food intake, and she lived another two years. And then they called two years later and said she's near the end. I remember going up there and getting down on the grass with her. I looked in her eyes, though she could hardly see. She was lying there, and I whistled to her as I did to my brother. We talked. I told her who I was, and I told her I loved her. And then I left. She passed away the next day. Now, the beautiful part of this story is that she actually predeceased my mother, who was very sick in a nursing home in Florida at the time. And I think that God, you know, kind of got me ready for what was coming through the passage of this beautiful friend of mine, Snowy. But Teddy has always inspired me. Now it's time for Teddy to go across the rainbow bridge. Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. People should know that many religions have prayers for pets who are being euthanized or who have died. And it transcends, I think, all religions, by the way. So I uh, did some research on this for you, those of you who have been through this may have done this already with your own ceremony but there are different prayers for a a pet that's about to be euthanized there are jewish prayers there's the mourners kaddish from judaism for example uh, during the bereavement time that is was written in aramaic by the way an ancient language developed by the common people who lived in the middle east during the 11th century that is read when a human being dies believe it or not uh saying goodbye to a beloved pet in this case, Jewish people do read the Mourner's Kaddish. And there are poets who have written things about it in Judaism. There are prayers from Judaism. For example, there's a prayer often recited at the gravesite of the human's funeral and usually reserved only for human funerals, but people do sometimes use them when uh, praying over the loss of a pet. Al-Malai Rahamim. There's another Jewish prayer for healing, which is call, calls upon God for compassion, to restore health and strength, and to give vitality to their spirit. You can read the Old Testament that speak to the mercy of those who devote and trust their faith in God. Things like that. You can go to the Native American who are facing this or face it today. Here's a beautiful one that I found online that I really like, which is from a Native American Aztec. And it is like this, oh, only for so short a while you have loaned us to each other. Because we take form in your act of drawing us, and we take life in your painting us, and we breathe in your singing us. That's an Aztec prayer. Here's one, earth teach me from Native American, ute. Earth teach me acceptance as the leaves that die each fall. Earth teach me renewal as the seed that rises in the spring. Earth, teach me to forget myself as melted snow forgets its life. Earth, teach me to remember kindness as dry fields weep with rain. I wrote one yesterday that was very short as I was watching the birds fly high above the bay, which is that every bird that flies falls to earth. Every fish that swims below the water floats to the surface. Here's a Buddhist prayer for a dying pet because the Buddhists believe that 
this is a tough one uh, that as the animal is dying, they also go through what they call bardo, a state of mind halfway between life and death. And so it is advised to encourage them to move forward into the next life or rebirth by repeating the following mantra. O Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the Ten Directions and the Three Times, please protect and guide your animal's name on his journey. May he be free from fear and clinging to this life. May he have a favorite rebirth. I'm not a Buddhist, but there are many people who are. Look, saying goodbye to a pet is as difficult as any other human loss. It's the end of a relationship. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Well, we went back into the archives and found two remarkable pieces from when Teddy was a little guy. The first was from 2007, where I talked about his reaction to the TV show 24 and the differences between cats and dogs. It's amazing. I, uh, I say in this one that I was mad at Teddy for two days for peeing on the floor after the show 24. Maybe he got scared. And I said, now we're friends again. And then I said, luckily, every house has to have an ugly chair. And I said, you know, dogs do not know how to hate. Dogs are overt. Cats are covert. And I said, of course, liberals are more like cats. I said, Teddy has a lump under his private part parts. The vet says not cancer. This was in 07. It turns out it was cancer. And his cancer was removed with his you-know-what about a year or so later, I guess. You know, I thought about dogs last night. I got to tell you this. I, I'm not going to go in my dog is great, but my dog is great. This 10-pound poodle, Teddy. I was mad at him for two days. I gave him the cold shoulder. He was hurt by it because he peed all over the house from 24. I think it scared him with the atomic bomb and the screaming and the shooting and the yelling. What I had to clean up for two days around the house, little little hidden areas there. But I forgave him. Now we're friends again. Now every morning I get up, it's the same thing. He sits on this pink chair. I have a recliner that I bought. I don't know how they let the store into Marin County. All the libs were like mad at it. Uh, Lazy Boy, Lazy Boy. When Lazy Boy opened in Marin County, all the phony snobs, ooh, we can't have that in our county. That's not classy. I went and I bought a beautiful recliner that is so ugly, it's unbelievable. It's like ugly chair. Every house must have an ugly chair. That's the only chair you actually wind up sitting in. Beautiful chairs nobody will sit in. If they do, you have to worry that you're going to stain it, you know, with something. But the ugly chair you could sit in, you can eat in it, you can drink in it. Coffee could spill on it. doesn't matter. This chair is so comfortable that Teddy took it over. It's his chair. So every morning, it's a pink recliner from, uh, from Lazy Boy. He jumps on the chair, and he, le- he puts his back up against it, and he gives me his two paws out, I swear to God. And he does it. I taught him how to do high five. Give me five. And we do like it. We play. Like I do the hands back and forth. Give me five. Give me four. Give me three. He loves this game. He could have been a circus dog. My dog could have been anything. I wonder how he is. He had a little growth underneath his private part that was worrying me a little bit. He went to the vet today. I don't even know how it came out. You know, maybe we should get the uh, vet on the show, see how Teddy's uh, private parts are, because I want to breed him this year. I don't want him to disappear. How? 
you know, once in a few hundred thousand years, a perfect animal comes along. How could his genes be lost? He's like Western civilization himself, my dog. We got to breed this dog. I got to have five or six puppies and keep two of them. I'm not going to sell them. You think I'm going to sell them and have a liberal buy them? Oh, yeah, I want. And they're going to send me pictures of them being mauled in a, in a, in a, in a pit bull uh, arena to, to torture me? No, I would never sell puppies. No, I couldn't do it, you know, because I don't know how they'll be used. I'll keep a couple of them. So I'm becoming like dog, more and more doggy. I mean, I love the dogs. I just love them so much. Because you can trust them. I thought about it last night, his eyes. Now that he like, you know, like he knows I like him again after the ping thing where I gave him the, the cold shoulder. Dogs' eyes are very interesting. If you don't abuse your dog, you only get a couple of emotions out of them. But none of them are hate. You, did you realize what I just said to you? Most dogs don't know how to hate. Yeah, you could train a dog to hate. I'm not talking about that. In general, in a normal house, a dog has a set of emotions that you can see in their eyes. Admiration, love, happiness. Maybe it's sometimes a little hurt when you leave them and you're going to go out and be a human without them. They don't understand it because they think that they're you. Why can't you take me to that wedding tonight, Dad? What is wrong with you? I'm as good as you. I know, son, but not everybody sees the world the way you do. Not, every, not everybody wants short furry creatures running around at weddings or in restaurants you'll have to just stay, stay home so you get those but you never get hate does dog ever look at you with hatred no which is why we love them you understand that well you should have a dog and by the way don't trust people who don't have dogs oh i just got the news the tiny lump under his testicles uh turns out to be benign there's nothing there so i mean it was pretty worrisome because there's a little tiny lump there and like any living creature, you know, or the way of all flesh, you worry. You know, maybe the little guy has cancer or something. But it turns out he's probably bitten by some bug and it scabbed over and it disappeared. But he sure enjoyed licking himself down there all the months that he thought of it. He had a justification. Look, who can blame him, you know? I think the reason we're not how the reason we're not dogs, or one of the reasons that they are dogs is they can do that, however you look at it. I mean normal men can't do that. That's why we're not dogs. If we were See, if we could, if we could have, if we were double jointed like that, we probably would be dogs. So God made it so you can't do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have an animal, it's amazing to watch how they behave. Even a little thing like a bite in their private parts, what they do with <laughs> I'm just elated. I'm not felinophobic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not exactly a felinophile. Uh, but I prefer dogs because dogs to me are covert and cats are, are uh, I'm sorry, dogs are overt and cats are uh, covert. Uh... Cats remind me of people in the in uh, Pacific Heights or in the San Francisco government. Everything they do is hidden and secretive. It's like Choirgate. They're trying to sweep it into the cat litter box, but I kind of doubt that that's where it's going to end up. You know, they're like cats in this city, like like cats that are really dirty, that gussy themselves up with uh, with uh, Da Vinci dresses, Da Vinci dresses, but behind it, you know, that there's dirty underwear. That's what the whole city reminds me of. Uh, the miners came in 49 and 51, the horse. You ever hear that? Mark Twain wrote it. I'm sure many of you love it. I didn't write it. Mark Twain did before the Fairness Doctrine. That's not a dirty word. In 51, the in, he said, in, in 49, the miners came in 51, the horse. And then he says, and then something evolved from it. It's called Pacific Heights. That's how they run San Francisco. But they put on dresses from back east. You know, the why we, we, uh, we have one of the best Opry's west of the Hudson and the Mississippi River. We put on quite a symphony out here. Oh, it's so out of town that I love it. There's no bigger small town than San Francisco. 
I wouldn't mind if they were uh, uh, patriotic or Americana, but my God, how could they be so anti-American? It's hard to believe. Everything that's family-oriented, they despise. They, they spit on the flag, the Boy Scouts. But thank God Teddy's okay, that's all. I can't wait to see the little guy after the show go home, talk to him. Say, Teddy, I am so glad you went to the doctor and you don't have a tumor under your private parts. But stop licking them already. There's no excuse anymore. You can't say, Dad, it itches or, Dad, there's a problem. You're just being a dirtbag if you keep doing it, Ted. I can't do that because I'll give them a complex. <laughs> I think you can give dogs a complex. They are very sensitive to criticism. Oh, my God. They're like liberals. Liberals are very good at, uh, uh, at pretending they don't care what you say to them. But boy, do they care. Whoa, they're thin-skinned. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. We have another segment from 1129.06. It's so beautiful that we're going to end the podcast with it. And I'm not going to preempt it by telling you what's in it. It's the end of this podcast on this very special day. Thanks for listening to the Michael Savage podcast. And if you've enjoyed it, please share it with other people because we need to grow to stay alive. Thanks for listening. Let me just tell a 30-second dog story because it's amazing. I said, what could I tell the people that they'd enjoy about the dog? Well, it's just that. I come home. It's the same every night. He gets so crazy. And, you know, dogs are beautiful. I've always had dogs who get excited when they're young. But this one is different. He runs. And you ever see a rabbit run down a, a pasture? How every number of uh, steps he leaps like with a hop? That's what Teddy does. He has a hop in him. I don't know where the hop came from. He's more rabbit than dog in a way. He runs and then throws himself up with a little hop and tugs at my clothing like in a comic book. And in the beginning, I'd say, Teddy, stop. You're going to rip my clothing. You know what I've come to? I say, Teddy, go ahead, rip my clothing. I don't even care. I let my arms hang down. He can rip my pants. He can rip my... Yeah, he doesn't mean to rip it. He's just trying to say hello. And he keeps going and going and going till he starts to wheeze. I have to stop him and I have to grab him. I'm afraid the dog's going to like stroke out from excitement. But you know what? why I don't stop him anymore? I'll tell you why. Because I know one day, unless I die from global warming or from a terrorism attack... One day he'll be old, and one day he won't be able to run, and he won't be motivated to run anymore, like my other dog, Snowy. She could hardly move. They become old like we do. They get arthritis, and they become, oh, you're home again? No, I had a rotten day. Don't even bother me. Look, I'm in the room. That's what they become later on. So I said, if this is what he is now, then enjoy it. Enjoy his joy, because in, in what, five years, six years, eight years, whatever it may be, assuming that the, the earth doesn't melt down because of Al Gore's uh, a hot air, uh, the dog won't be able to do it. And what? I'll look back and say, my God, I remember when you were little, Teddy, and you used to run in the driveway until you almost got a stroke and jump and nip at me. Yeah. So you see, you're lucky if you can look forward and see the future because sometimes it can help, it can help you enjoy the present more. And it's the same with the past. If you can look back on the past, it can help you enjoy the present more. People say that you should live here now, be here now. You know that phrase, be here now, sort of like a hippie, hippie thing. Well, they're 100% right, but the best way to be here now is to remember the past and think of the future.
בגולו ובזמן קורי ואמרו אמן יהי שמי רבו מבורך לעולם ולעולמי עולמיו יסבורך וישתבח ויספורר וישרימם וישנשאי וישדור וישלה וישלו לשמי דקודשו בריחו לילו מן כל ברכוסו ושירוסו תושבחוסו ונחמוסו נאמירון בעולמו ואמרו אמן יהי שלמה רבו מן שמיו וחיים עולנו ועל כל ישראל ואמרו אמן אוי שי שלום במרימוב ויעשה שלום עולנו ועל כל ישראל ואמרו אמן Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.